we're in a series looking at the attributes of God. When we talk about an attribute, we are talking about a characteristic, a trait, a description of God that makes up who God is. Last week we talked about God's knowledge and we noted that God knows himself. He knows all things that are, all things that will be, even all those things that could be. We also noted that he knows everything at once from eternity. And we asked ourselves this question. How should my knowledge of God's knowledge be affecting my everyday life? And we noted three principles. Number one, he is doing his best in my life for his glory. Number two, I'm not in control. And number three, I don't have to worry about my future or be mad about my present. God's knowledge. Well, today we're going to look at yet another attribute of God, one that's very close to the knowledge of God. We're going to talk about God's wisdom. Usually when I differentiate between knowledge and wisdom, simply say that, well, wisdom is applied knowledge. And that holds true for God, but we want to tweak that just a little bit in talking about God's wisdom. We can rest in God's knowledge. We saw in Psalm 139 that before we experience the first day of our life, He has ordained the days of our lives. His knowledge is complete. He has a plan. God's wisdom says that He's going to work that plan. Here's how we can define God's wisdom. God always chooses the best means to his glory. God always chooses the best means to his glory. God always chooses the best goals and the best means to carrying out those goals. And as we've seen, God does everything to his glory. Thus, God always chooses the best means to his glory. A week ago, I left my house to come here to the facilities of Faith Bible Church. And... uh, I drove the mile from our house down to the pavement only to ask myself the question, did I close the garage door? I find myself asking that question way too often. And I know myself that if I don't go and check all day long, I wonder, did I close it? Did I close it? So I drove a mile back and I had closed it. And I have to say... This happens way too often, and I've never found it still open. 
Well, then I'm frustrated with myself because I've driven an extra two miles already. And so I say, well, if I go back the way I normally do, then that's a mile back north and then a mile back south on the interstate. That's four wasted miles. So I'm going to take the shortcut today. So instead of heading north to hit the interstate, I headed south on Loggerhead Road, down to Tower Terrace, Tower Terrace to Center Point, down south to Center Point to the office, and I'm almost going to make it, but a train comes right in front of me. Not a fast-moving train, about a three-mile-per-hour train. And I'm getting frustrated. I'm wondering, is this the infinity train? And so I decide, okay, I'm going to turn around. So I turned around, cut a UE, there's no traffic moving. Went back to Boyson Road, west on Boyson Road, over 380, south on 380 to the Blairs Ferry exit, only to forget that every time a train comes down that way, all of the lights turn blinking red. And the traffic is backed up so far that the cars are almost onto the interstate. So now what am I going to do? Well, I'll head west on Blair's Ferry, even though I didn't want to do that. So I went west on Blair's Ferry. Then I think if I can cut through the Sam's parking lot, cut back around through the gas station, maybe I can get onto the access road, but all the traffic is stopped. What normally takes me 10 minutes took me a half hour. You see, I don't always choose the best path. But aren't we glad that God does? He always does. We sometimes don't recognize it. But God always chooses the best path to his glory. And that's the truth that we want to look at this morning. Now, I apologize once again for this, but we are going to look at a lot of verses. And the reason why is that this This attribute of God's wisdom is apparent all through our Bibles, and I want us to get a taste of that. So we are going to move with machine gun rapidity through this first section, looking at these various passages that talk about the wisdom of God. And simply, at first, we simply want to see the fact that God is wise. And in his wisdom, he always chooses the best means to his glory for the body of believers, for Israel, later for the church. He always chooses the best means to his glory. Turn with me, first of all, to the book of Job. We were there last week, right before the book of Psalms, the book of Job. If you don't know where that is, look it up in the front of your Bible and find a page number. And then um, come to that very page. I met with a couple this past week in a very smart thing. They both bought the same exact Bible so that when the one finds it before the other one, then they can say, hey, it's page 957. I thought, hey, that's pretty smart. They help each other. So the book of Job and chapter 9. Now remember what's going on in this book. We've got this man named Job who loves God. He is a righteous man. He's living for God. And Satan enters the throne room of God and said, God, you've made it so easy for this guy. No wonder he honors you. If you took his everything away from him, he'd curse you. And God gives permission to Satan to take everything away from Job except his very life. 
And Satan does. Takes away his wealth, takes away his family, takes away his health. And Job is left there in misery. Along come Job's quote-unquote friends. Three of them, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar are trying to tell Job, Job, you've done something wrong or this wouldn't be happening to you. And right here in Job chapter 9, we're listening to Job and Bildad talk with each other. Bildad tells Job in verse 12 of chapter 8, While it's still green and not cut down, yet it withers before any other plant, so are the paths of all who forget God. Meaning, Job, you forgot God. That's why this is happening to you. And Job is arguing with Bildad and said, No, I haven't. I can't make a case before God, but I haven't forgotten him. In fact, in verse 2 of chapter 9, Job says, In truth I know that this is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? You can't. Wise in heart, verse 4, and mighty in strength, who has defied him without harm? That's how he describes God. Wise in heart. Intrinsically, God is wise. Flip over a couple of pages to Job chapter 12. Job chapter 12, I love verse 2. Job is getting fed up with his friends Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And he tells them in verse 2, Truly then, you are the people. With you, wisdom will die. Isn't that a great comment? Hey, when you three guys die, then there will be no more wisdom. That's how much wisdom you have. The epitome of sarcasm. And Job is saying, I know more about God's wisdom than you three do. And he tells them in verse 12 of chapter 12, With him are wisdom and might. To him belong counsel and understand. Again, God is wise. Look over just to the next book in your Old Testament, to the book of Psalms, Psalm 104. Psalm 104. And here in Psalm 104, the psalmist is praising God for his creation and for sustaining his creation. And in verse 24, he says, Oh Lord, how many are your works? In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. Now remember our definition of wisdom that always God always does what leads to his glory. He always follows the path, the best path to his glory. Notice verse 31. In verse 24, the psalmist has just said, Your works of creation are great in wisdom. You have made them all. Now look at verse 31. Let the glory of the Lord endure forever. God, in wisdom you created the earth. It's a path, as people see that, to glorify you. Let's go to the New Testament, Romans chapter 11. We've looked at this great doxology before, this hymn of praise, at the end of a very difficult section of the book of Romans, Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. And here, the Apostle Paul, ending this hard-to-understand section, reminds us that God's wisdom is ultimately seen in his salvation work for us. And it's it's a demonstration of his wisdom. Thus he says in verse 33, Oh, the depths of the riches, 
both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Romans chapter 16, verse 27 says this, To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Now, Paul specifically is going to show us that God's wisdom comes to a zenith in Jesus Christ. Pastor Brian read the passage earlier for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You know, for example... In verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 1, Paul wrote, But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block, to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. In the book of Ephesians chapter 3, the apostle Paul is saying that God's wisdom is evident, not just in this good news about Jesus Christ, but in bringing together Jew and Gentile, Two groups that in enmity against each other, in God's wisdom, to His glory, He brings those two groups to one through Jesus Christ, through the message of the gospel. Thus we see in verse 10 of Ephesians 3, the Apostle Paul writes, So that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the churches to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. You see, all the way through our Bibles, we see that God is wise. And in that wisdom, He always chooses the best means to His glory for the body of believers. Now here's the basic lesson we need to learn from that. We need to pull out from these verses. It's a very simple one. Wisdom belongs to God. You cannot find true wisdom any other place. Wisdom only comes from God. I went to the new grocery store that opened up this week in town called Fresh Market. Big mistake. I couldn't hardly get in the front door. And I don't like crowds. I had to back out. If you go into the produce section, most likely you'll find a sign that says Vidalia onions. Now, what is always true about a true Vidalia onion? You can only get it one place. There's actually a state law in the state of Georgia and a federal regulation that says that if you put the name Vidalia on an onion, it has to come from Vidalia, Georgia. You can only get a Vidalia onion one place, Vidalia, Georgia. You can only get wisdom one place from God. That's our undergirding principle. Wisdom is only found one place. It's God's wisdom. And in that wisdom, he always chooses the best means to his glory. Now, what's neat is the fact that God's wisdom is not only active for the church in the Old Testament for Israel, but it's active in your life and in my life. And we're going to look at three passages of Scripture that show that, the first of which is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. If you want to turn back to the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, we're going to see that not only corporately in the church 
is God's wisdom evident. But God is wise in that he always chooses the best means to his glory for individual believers. That means in your life, right now, even though you may be going through a trial, some severe, that means that right now we can take confidence that God is working a plan in your life. We may not understand it. We may just see our circumstance today. But God is working His plan in your life for His glory. That's what Paul says in Romans 8.28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. He's talking to Christians here. He's not saying that God works all things together for ease or for happiness but for good. And he defines what he means that in, by that in the very next verse, in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. So the work that God's doing in your life and in my life is bringing us to conformity to the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, he is working a plan in your life and my life to make us more like Jesus Christ. Remember our premise statement? God's wisdom means that he's always choosing his best to his glory. Always. And we can take confidence in that in our lives, even when we're going through trials and pain. The Apostle Paul learned that firsthand in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He had been given a glimpse into the throne room. And in 2 Corinthians 12, he knows the danger of what spiritual pride can do. And so he explains to us that God allowed the Apostle Paul to suffer what Paul calls a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that is. But it was a difficulty, a trial, a pain that was particular to Paul. And so Paul says to God... Take it away from me. I don't like this. And God responded to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And Paul gets to the point in his life where he can actually say in verse 10, Therefore I'm well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When he says for Christ's sake, he's basically saying so that Jesus Christ is glorified. Paul can actually come to a point in his life where he says, I'm content with this. How can he do that? Because he's resting in the wisdom of God. He's recognizing that God is doing his best in Paul's life to his glory. He always chooses the best means to his glory. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Peter's a book about suffering. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, Peter says, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. In trust, there is a banking term. It's, it's saying, I'm going to actually deposit my trials and my pains and my worries and my concerns. I'm going to deposit those with God. 
and I'm going to keep doing what's right, I'm trusting him. How can Peter get to that point? How can Paul say that I'm content with what's happening in my life right now because they're resting in the wisdom of God? They're resting in the fact that God knows. He has a plan. That he knows. That's God's knowledge. God's wisdom says that he is working that plan in your life and my life. We have a room here at Faith Bible Church in our facility that I'm guessing 99% of you do not know about. It's a secret room. It's labeled, it's called the vault. There's only, that I know of, two keys to it. I have one in my office and there's another one secured someplace else. There's no money inside. It's the room that holds all of the blueprints. Now, Blueprints are interesting. Usually, if you enter into a large-scale building project, you will be given, as the person who owns the building, a set of blueprints that are untouched, like a master set. Often, you will also end up with a set of blueprints that were actually used by the contractor. What a difference. Because the set of blueprints that that general contractor used and maybe let the subs look at and they had in their construction shack on site will be ripped and there'll be coffee and Coke and food all over it and it'll be marked on and written on. It'll be tattered. It'll be frayed. It'll just be a mess. It probably won't even hardly hold together again. Why? Because it's been used. Wouldn't it be disheartening If you were in the middle of a building project and you went into the contractor's shack and the blueprints that he is supposed to be using to build your building are pristine, they've never been opened, they're just pure white, they're not even smudged, they're just in perfect condition. What would that tell you? It'd tell me my contractor's not following the plan. Aren't we glad... That we have a God who knows, meaning he has a plan. But we have a God who's wise, meaning he's using the plan. And that's what Romans 8 and what and 2 Corinthians 12 and 1 Peter 4 are saying. God is using the plan that he has to his glory. And if you are a Christian, God has a plan for you. He's working it. Even though we don't sometimes understand it. Paul says in Romans 8, he's working it so that you will become more and more like Jesus. That's God's wisdom. He has a plan and he's working it. Now there's one last principle I want us to note this morning. And to do that, we're going to start by looking in Psalm 19. And in Psalm 19, we have a psalm where the 
creation work of God is being praised. In verse 1 it says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God. And the psalmist is praising God's creative work. But then he comes down in verse 7 and begins to make a comparison between the wisdom that's evident in creation and the wisdom that's available in this book. And he says in verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord, saying the same thing, he's talking about God's word, is sure, making wise the simple. That's telling us that God's wisdom is available to us. And we can gain wisdom by reading this book. It's the only book that God ever wrote. So God's wisdom is available to us in the Scripture. We also see in the New Testament that God's wisdom is available to us for the asking. Finally, turn over to James, the book of James with me. And in James chapter 1, James begins this letter in a way that is hard for us to grasp. Because he says in verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. How is that possible? We're supposed to be joyful at trials? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And that whole process brings us to completion in Christ. It's hard for us to grasp It's hard for us to understand how we can look at our everyday circumstances and have joy sometimes. So James goes on and explains how we can get the right perspective. We get the right perspective. We can recognize God's perfect plan by asking for wisdom. Notice verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now sometimes we get hung up on the little word if here. Does that mean that, well, maybe he needs wisdom, but I don't? So if if you need wisdom, ask. Well, in the Greek language, this is called a conditional clause, and there's three different kinds of conditional clause. There's a first condition, a second condition, and a third condition. My wife has asked me to do some trimming of our spruce trees at our place. We have a lot of them. And I have told her, if I have time, I will do that. Now, if I am using a second-class conditional if, what I'm really saying to my wife is, if I have time and I don't, I will do that. If I'm using a third conditional clause, I am saying to my wife, if I have time, and I might, I will do that. But if I'm using a first conditional clause, I'm saying to my wife, if I have time, and I do, I will do that. Fortunately, in English, you cannot distinguish first, second, and third class conditional clauses, so it's an enigma for my wife. 
But in the Greek text, you often can, either from the context or sometimes even from the words that are used. Here, James is surely using a first conditional clause, meaning we can actually translate this, since you lack wisdom, ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Why do we so often not ask? In 1983, my wife and I got married in September, and we moved to Dallas, Texas. I'm an Iowa kid. Moving to a metroplex. Our first week there, I got a job for a courier service delivering legal documents throughout Dallas and Fort Worth. And I had that position for five years, all the way through graduate school. Our company guaranteed from the time that someone called, within Dallas County, we would go pick up that package and take it anywhere in the county within one hour from the time they called. And outside the county, within within an hour and a half. Well, one morning, a call came to me to pick up a package that was out of county. It was a rush job. Now, I didn't have a good beginning of the company. My actual first day of work, I was riding with another Dallas Seminary student named Steve Lavellet, and I wrecked the car my very first day. Brand new Honda Civic, and I wrecked it. Not a good beginning. It wasn't my fault. Later on, it was ruled, but it wasn't a good beginning. So I'm bound to determine I'm going to be the best courier this company has, and I get this call, pick up a package, and take it to 222 Las Colinas Boulevard West. I'll never forget it. Las Colinas is a business park between Dallas and Fort Worth, and when we lived there, it was relatively new. This was way before GPS. Each of us had a book of maps called a Mapsco, and the roads were not even completely in for Las Colinas. So I went out to Las Colinas, and I found Las Colinas Boulevard. I can't find 222. I'm driving up the street and down the street and up the street and down the street. I finally get so frustrated I park the car, jumped out, somehow thinking maybe if I'm on foot I can find it better. So now I'm running, trying to find this building. The package is 20 minutes late at this point. So I finally called the office on my radio said I cannot find 222 Las Colinas Boulevard. And they said, well, it's a brand new building. It just opened this week. And it's West Las Colinas Boulevard. And sure enough, if I lift my eyes, about a half mile that way, there's a building all by itself, 222. Why did I wait so long to ask? Because I'm prideful. I'm stubborn. I can do it on my own. And... Just like all of us, usually we wait till we're fatigued. We've been trying to run in our own strength until we finally say, I need you. And here James is saying, God's wisdom is available to us. The particular attributes that we're talking about in this series, theologians call 
communicable attributes. Those mean these are attributes that in some part we can actually share with God and God shares with us. And wisdom is one of those attributes. God wants to share his wisdom with us. James says we need to ask for it. And the older we get, the more we realize, let's not wait till we're exhausted to ask. Let's ask on the front end. You see, we can find great rest in the knowledge and wisdom of God. We can rest in God's knowledge knowing that he has a plan that encompasses you. We can rest in God's wisdom knowing that he has a plan that encompasses you, that he is actually working. God's wise. Always choosing the best means to his glory. Father, we thank you for this passage, these passages, and the reminder not only of your knowledge but your wisdom that you not only have a plan, but you are working that plan to your glory. We praise you for it. Help us to rest in it. Help us not to worry about the future or get mad about the present, but to come to you and ask for wisdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.